Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration and collaboration creates community and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are back live with Rob Rayner. He was a guest probably about a year ago, actually. I guess so. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us again, Rob. Yeah, thank you, David. Uh, so things have changed a little bit for you. Not a great deal. I mean, in some respects, probably uh, a very similar kind of work that you're going to be doing or now actually doing mm-hmm. and leaving sort of behind. It's We're going to get into that in a second. Hopefully, I've piqued your interest. But but one of the things I did notice, so you're working now with the Green Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just thinking about this on the drive in here to meet with you and, uh, you know, your work with basic income and mm-hmm. Canada Without Poverty. There seems to be a little bit of a theme here, Rob. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that theme. Well, basically, yeah, so I'm working as the interim executive director of the Green Party of Canada, filling in for maternity leave, um, and the Green Party's values and priority issues resonate with me. Um, and one of those is, is, is around basic income or guaranteed income. The, the, the Greens are officially already on board with the general concept, recognizing that a lot of details need to be worked out. but. I think that was pretty important for me. I just had an opportunity to work for the party for a year and, and, and help move things along on the inside um, and learn a lot and meet, meet new people um, within green circles. But, but the basic income piece remains huge for me. So, so. T tell me a little bit more about basic income. Refresh my memory, uh, the listener's memory, as to, to you're, you're basically handing off your campaign directorship to someone else in the near future. Yes. You've been doing quite a bit of work on this over the last few years. Yes. What, what the heck is basic income? Sure. How might it differ from welfare? Right. Uh, and, and, and where are we right now? And then maybe we can talk about the synthesis between your, you right. know, your work with Green Party. So executive director interim for Green Party currently yeah. as we speak. Yeah. Okay. So Good. basic income is a phrase that essentially is meant to mean uh, income that would be provided, is provided by governments to citizens with as little conditionality as possible um, and with no work requirement. So the idea is to ensure that uh, citizens who are eligible for the basic income receive a level of income that optimally is sufficient to ensure that their basic needs are met without a requirement for people to have to be working for that income. It may sound like a radical idea, uh, but in fact, uh, there are forms of basic income in place in Canada and around the world, um, and some of them are very substantial programs. Now in Canada, uh, we have programs more for children and for seniors because there's not a requirement among children or, se or for seniors to work. Um, that's fairly well established in our culture. We have some basic income programs available for the working age population, but they're woefully inadequate. And so we have welfare, which is basically a 19th or 20th century model of social protection with all kinds of flaws and, and deficiencies and um, in need of reform. So basic income is, is an alternative in particular to welfare, but also to some other types of income security programs that don't work particularly well. And the advantages and the benefits that would flow from basic income are, are many, principally health. As many people like to describe it, basic income is really a health income because the link between income and health is profound. Uh, and we know from research and evidence, uh, of which we have plenty from within Canada and around the world, that as incomes rise, health out outcomes improve. As income falls, health un outcomes become worse. Um, and and we're at, I was just speaking with a doctor today in Toronto. She works for a Sick Kids Hospital. Um, she's a disease specialist vast knowledge and experience around this area and as she said we are in a we are we are in a major crisis situation mm. in this country with regard to income and health she called it the long emergency <clears throat> because wow. it's not it's Interesting. not yeah it's not something that people see like right in front of them like they will with with an infectious disease crisis like SARS which ha demanded an immediate response to that short emergency Poverty is a long emergency. Well, it's a slow onset crisis, It's a slow onset, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and people suffer it over many years. Their health decreases over many years. And 
tangibly, many people, in fact, so, die. You know, many years younger than they of ought course, to. Of course, yeah, yeah, and 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 in development, this is uh, this is you know been a been a factor for sure for, for years. Mortality rates and so on, and how sure. how all connected all of this is. Yeah. Why is it so different from welfare? I mean, you talked a little bit about some of the flaws and in other income security sort of uh, approaches. Right. Is welfare really? Uh, I mean, I mean, I could certainly pick a few holes in it, I suppose. But is it really about the amount of money that you're getting? Is it? Is it the? Is it the stigma that's attached to it? Or are they some of the problems? Yeah, definitely. Those are the two big ones. It's a stigmatizing process, where people have to go into a welfare office, plead their case before a government worker who makes some determinations based on rules and then there can be further steps in the process even before you even begin to access any any income at all and if you're successful in accessing income the levels provided uh, pretty much across the board in Canada are are really quite low uh, typically about two-thirds of a poverty income mm. uh, Newfoundland just announced some serious uh, improvements to their welfare program and including with their rates uh, that make it the most, if you will, generous of all the jurisdictions. Um, but even still, I don't think anyone would willingly want to be living on welfare in a place like Newfoundland, despite the levels there being the highest in Canada. Uh, yeah, so the, 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 amount the amounts available to people are essentially ensure people remain in a state of poverty with all the problems that spin out of that. So it's a very poor return on investment, if you will, to use sort of crude financial language. Uh, and then the whole process of applying and the documentation and then the, the follow-up uh, requirements for information that's demanded by the bureaucracy. Um, huge problems around that. So I think of welfare, there's five sort of labels I put on welfare. It's stigmatizing, it's dehumanizing, it's inefficient, it's ineffective, it's inadequate. Uh, any one of those reasons should be enough to demand, you know, wide-scale reform, but uh, basic income is none of those things. In, in principle, it can be adequate. Enough income can be made available. Um, it, there's no need for it to be stigmatizing. It certainly wouldn't be dehumanizing. If anything, it would be the very opposite. It would help to support the dignity of human beings. And it would be far more effective and far more efficient. Um, so for many of us, we does think it's the way to go, and our campaign is, is pushing for that. Rob, does anybody choose to be poor? I mean, do you choose welfare? Uh, is it something that you're kind of pushed into or, or, or forced into? I mean, I, I certainly come across that question, you know, oh, well, all these kinds of people, they must be lazy. Right. That's why they're poor. Right. Right? Cambodians must be lazy. I mean, I, and I, I hear these comments, or right. Malawians are lazy. And often I think... It's actually a form of racism on one level, and then I think on another level, it's just somebody who hasn't really done a whole lot of traveling. Sure. <laughs> they haven't been outside of the Ontario, or sure. maybe even their Rexdale. Sure. So therefore, how could they really know how things are happening on the ground? But they, they hear things. Yeah, yeah, for so, sure. So tell me about the choice side of things, because I'm sure some of your critics are going to say, oh, great, well, I mean, welfare is low because, mm -hmm. you know, people... You know, right. Some people choose this, at right. least, right? Yeah. It's the easy way out, isn't it, yeah. Rob? I mean, come on. You're, mm -hmm. writing, you're, you're giving me a basic income. You're giving right. me a check to do nothing. Isn't right. that fabulous? Right, right, right. Well, all very good points, and they do come up repeatedly. I'm sure they do. Yeah, 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 yeah I know for sure. Um, with, with regard to um, uh, who's poor and why are they are poor, uh, one of our strongest campaign colleagues, a guy named Mark Chamberlain, who's nearby here in Hamilton, done a lot of work in Hamilton with others looking at the poverty situation and Mark told me last night when I was having dinner with him that 
and I've heard him say this before, who's poor in Hamilton? I'll tell you who's poor. It's children, it's seniors, it's people with disabilities, and it's people who are working. And there's not a whole lot of others outside of those four major groups. Um, so the belief that people... That's pretty much everyone, isn't it? Well, it's, <laughs> it's capturing most people. Yeah. You know, the belief that welfare is you know, something that people are choosing so they can sit at home and do nothing, I think doesn't apply to virtually everybody who in fact is on welfare. Uh, but it's, it's worth making the point that laziness, if that's the criticism that's being levied here on, on people who are poor, laziness ex exists across the income spectrum, whether or not you're poor or you're rich. It's found right across the income spectrum. It's found right through the workforce. You have people who are employed, but who are lazy on the job, um, who don't have that work ethic that we're all supposed to live up to. So we, you know, um, the generalization that those who are in welfare are lazy is, is just about the crudest generalization that's out there, and it's totally false. Is, do, you think it, do you think sometimes folks mm -hmm. use these kinds of phrases because they're actually commenting on their own weaknesses? That's a really good, that's a really good point. Uh, it's, been, it's been made before that when people levy those kinds of accusations or beliefs, what they're actually trying to do is reflect back on the image they want to cast upon themselves. So when someone says, you know, everyone on welfare is just lazy, if they only worked harder, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be poor. It's almost like they're trying to reflect upon themselves, like, look how hard I work. I'm not like that. That's right. Um, so uh, it, and it, 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 it makes me wonder to what extent this, this kind of language, this, these kinds of beliefs, really go very deep into our human psyche and our own need for affirmation about affirmation. our own. Affirmation. Yeah. I don't know. There, I don't know. I mean, for me, on some level, it's, uh, there's, there's something connected here to self-interest. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'm not like that. Yes. I'm not lazy. Or maybe even, boy, wouldn't it be great to have... A basic income. Mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, the, and yeah. I could get up at whatever time I want. Well, in, you know, in fairness, basic income would give people more freedom. That's a big reason why we want sure. it. We want yep. people to feel a greater sense of freedom and autonomy to make the decisions that they can make that will likely be better choices for themselves. Well, doesn't it presuppose that poverty, on some level, is some kind of a trap? That poverty is, uh, or at least economic poverty, that is, because I think what I like about, and what I know about basic income is that it's way more holistic than just saying this is an economic yes. thing, or this is an economic oh, yes. problem or distinction. This is about opportunity, it's oh, about huge. access, it's about the ability huge. to make choices, because you may want to choose A over B, but because of your yes. three jobs that you're holding, Absolutely. You, you can access it. Absolutely. Uh, I know myself, um, uh, look, you know, I've had a number of ideas for things I'd like to probably try uh, in terms of a very small business. Like, I love books, for example. Now, we're in the... Okay, I want to do a coffee shop and a bookshop someday. There you someday go. Yeah. That probably has a smoking room okay. for cigars, I think, you okay. know, and maybe pipes or something okay. like that. <laughs> Just And who knows what else, depending on what happens okay. with our government. But, okay. Uh, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, uh, what I, with my wife, you know, someday. So yeah. anyway, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I've yeah. thought about it many times. Yeah, yeah. That I can imagine living in a, in a smaller community because I've had experience living in small communities. And I like them. Um, but how would I make a living? Well, what if I could offer, you know, I love books. I'd love to promote reading. And, and I also love music. So it would be, you know, we had some great bookstores in Ottawa, Montreal, and Toronto. where They all closed uh, due to market circumstances, I guess, uh, the... Uh, 
Nicholas Hoare book store ch uh, chain. They only, only, only had three stores, but they were the best bookstores in Canada, mm. in my view. Mm. Just the way they were laid out, the way they presented the books in a beautiful way, and uh, the music they played and all the rest of it. And, and you know, that would kind of interest me to do something like that, but I'm not in position to take the risk to, to do that. I'm just not. Basic income provides that greater cushion that people can take those kinds of risks knowing that if they ultimately fail with their business venture, they're not actually going to also be starving. Um, so I think many of us believe that you know, basic income, yes, it'll give rise to all these psychological changes and allow people to be thinking very differently about how they can, how they can lead their lives and the work that they can pursue that currently they don't do because of, out of fear and a sense of entrapment in their current circumstance. So just because there's little conditionality, as you said earlier, mm. with respect to basic income or there's no work requirement, that doesn't mean that people aren't necessarily <laughs> going to work. Oh, quite I think the, quite the contrary. I think it's quite the contrary. Okay. And as some of our campaign colleagues have pointed out, you know, the rich don't stop working, generally speaking. They keep working because they love what they do. And if you love what you do, you're going to pursue it. I mean, look at Steve, I, in my power in my um, presentation this morning out in Niagara region, I for the first time put up a, a slide of Steve Jobs and a quote, and he talks about you know, in order to in order to to work well and to you know deliver well, you must follow your passion. You 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 know, if you follow your passion. And, and work at what it is you love to do, the chances are you're going to do beautiful work with beautiful mm -hmm. outcomes. Mm -hmm. and many people have, have talked along these lines, but I think it's very, very true. If, if you're able to follow the, whatever passion you have and work at that, you're going to keep doing it whether, you know, uh, great painters don't stop painting even though they can sell their paintings and sell for a million dollars or whatever. Great musicians keep you know, Paul McCartney's still touring the world despite being a billionaire. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, true. The Rolling yeah. Stones are still on tour yeah, despite yeah. being a, you know. Not sure so, why they are, but that's. Uh, that's yeah, that's well, we could get yeah. into that too, but uh, <laughs> all well, kinds of examples of that of people who who are already very successful could stop working today, but don't because they love to work. So my listeners and most people who know me know that I'm not uh, a conservative, mm -hmm. but I'm going to play that for a second. So Rob lovely idea mm -hmm. but who's paying for all this uh, okay so so yeah my aren't my taxes gonna go up mm -hmm. and I just I just heard about a uh, hudax tax cuts right that he's promising uh, here in in uh, you know uh, our part of the world tell me more about that very good question um, in order to fund basic income at the level that would be necessary for really to make a difference for people we certainly have to find the revenue to support that Fortunately, there are all kinds of ways that revenue can be generated to, um, to make that happen. Um, I've just recently come across information from an economist out in Victoria who's very supportive of basic income. She's done some analysis of, of all the existing tax credits that have been put in place in recent years, and most of these are boutique tax credits. They, they, they're targeted to particular niches of our society. Um, and I think as a political tool to win the support of those demographic groups when, when it's time to cast their vote. Um, but the, the total value of all those tax credits, and there's over 200 of them at the federal level, is, uh, is over $100 billion. That's $100 billion of revenue the federal government is not collecting that could be available to help support things like basic income and other critical things we need in our society that's being foregone. And $100 I wanna, billion? $100 billion. And I want to underscore, like the conversation I had with the 
physician this morning who's a, uh, a disease specialist, as I mentioned, but has a, a lot of contacts and connections with the pediatric world. Uh, she mentioned that the, uh, the, the incidence of mental illness among children in Canada, and particularly among low-income children, is it's right off the scale. And these children and their families need an incredible amount of support if this mental illness is going to be arrested. And this is part of the, the long emergency that she was describing. Well, we need to change the conversation around taxation because for decades now, uh, people on the right have been singing the song that uh, with, with paying less taxes will lead to a better society. It's actually just about the, the polar opposite, that our, the level of taxation we're willing to support, up to a reasonable amount, um, can then provide the revenue need, we need to invest in all kinds of social supports, infrastructural supports, environmental protections, and so forth. Um, and this is well documented in in the literature, in evidence going back now many decades, uh, societies that um, are prepared to uh, put up a, a larger share of, of, of revenue into the public pool for investing in those critical things we need as a society generally do much better. I, I actually said to somebody, a friend of mine, who, who is quite fiscally conservative, I wouldn't say he's conservative on all levels, that mm -hmm. I, yesterday, uh, that I don't think we pay enough tax. Right. <laughs> And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't thrilled with that right. and thought it was pretty ridiculous statement, really. But I think the point I was trying to make is that we've got this uh, infrastructure. We have access to a lot of uh, services and, and so on and resources. And, and, and alongside of that comes this expectation. Mm -hmm. and, and it's really, to me, kind of contradictory and paradoxical that we want to pay less tax and yet still seem to have access to, yeah. well, what do you mean the community center's closed or right. that the nets aren't up at the tennis court? And I'm being very superficial here at this point, yeah. but, but uh, it's a, yeah, it's a real paradox to me. Yeah. It, you know, um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. But well, I think part of the challenge for us in Canada as elsewhere in the world is, is reframing the perspective and the discussion around taxation. And there are people who are working on that groups like Canadians for Tax Fairness, Alex Himmelfarb, the former clerk of the Privy Council during the Kretchen years, uh, is, just, is coming out with a book on his ideas around reforming our tax system. Um, there's some very good minds have been thinking about this stuff for quite a long time. And there's lots of proposals out there for how we could amend our tax system to make it fairer, um, ensure we have more revenue available for the critical things we need. And some economists have pointed out that uh, our, the size of our federal government today and, it, and the amount of revenue it's generating and the amount of spending that it's, it's giving uh, as a proportion of our GDP is, is not at an all-time low, but compared to, um, uh, say, the 60s or 70s, it's, it's, it's far below that. Right. Uh, so there's lots of room for us to bounce back, if you will, and... and, 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 and right, so in other words, the taxes that uh, we may need to pay in mm -hmm. the future for X, Y, and Z actually mm -hmm. would really get us back to more of a, a level playing field. Where we used to be. Where we used to be. Yeah. Uh, um, why, why is it, Rob, and now, then I want to talk a little bit about your, your shift in, into working with the Green Party and, and how that's all connected in the mm -hmm. thread and so on. Why, why, why don't we reduce, it seems, most conversations to financial equations, mm -hmm. mathematical equations. So mm -hmm. Rob Ford seemingly, and maybe this has just become a trite uh, consideration, but 
Rob's okay because he saved us four billion dollars or you know as a city or whatever it was I don't know how much money he saved I can't remember the number exactly but that's his argument well look what I did for you economically mm -hmm. doesn't matter that I'm morally bankrupt mm -hmm. but I saved you a lot of cash mm -hmm. so therefore mm -hmm. I mean I'm, I'm assuming you have an issue with that but have we re reduced it to just dollars and cents well, I don't think we have. The, the, it may appear to be that way, but I think, and maybe it's the circles that I run in, but I hardly know anybody who actually really thinks that way. Uh, <laughs> That's interesting. You know, yeah. 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 I mean, maybe yeah, again, it's, it's just the, the company I, that I keep, but uh, I, think, I think we are so intensely social creatures who, who depend on our interaction. The quality of our interaction with each other is what makes for a happy existence. Um, uh, I don't think we are at all anywhere near the level of just, you know, automatons uh, going about our daily business with crude calculation of, you know, economic pluses and minuses, although it may seem that way because so much of our discourse and so much of our media coverage seems to be around those kinds of things, sort of cold dollars and cents. I think Rob Ford is just appealing to a very, very low common denominator when he's talking that way. Um, I don't think he's a, he's not a sophisticated individual, and by that I don't mean uh, an elitist kind of person. I think he just thinks in very simplistic ways, mm -hmm. doesn't see the world in a, in the, in the broader way that we need to be seeing, because it's, it's a complex world, and human beings are complex. We have, we have, a, we have the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and we need to address all of those, and when you get into the more emotional and social needs, that's when things like you know, creating and supporting green space and walkable communities and jobs that have meaning. All those things are important. And they're all those things we need to be working on. Um, and basic income is an, is an enabler for a lot of that stuff. It is just simply a tool, but... Um, drives, it drives me crazy when we redact everything to numbers. Oh, yeah. It makes me crazy. Sure. And, I'm you know... We are not born out of a mathematical equation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet, you know, in nine to five, and maybe, you know, I've wondered sometimes, Rob, if, if, if we kind of live our lives in a particular way from nine to five because we're getting paid money to do it. Mm -hmm. So there are things that we would do during a work a day, the arguments we might get ourselves into, the things we might say in email, yeah. how we protect our own asses, how we, right. well, I'm going to CC everyone here because I don't want to lose this job. Things that we would do in that framework that we would never do after hours, right. that we would never do to our neighbors or to our right. the people that we work with on the, the, the soccer committee and right. so on and so on. Right. And I wonder if th there's something, of, uh, there's an angle there with respect to this whole idea of basic income. Well, it's all about the numbers, you know, and, and I don't know. I'm just kind of talking out loud here on this one, but I wonder if there's kind of a connection to that. No, oh, I think so. I think it's a big connection. And I think, again, you know, just like we have to reframe conversation and thinking around taxation, I think we have to really reframe ourselves around values and what's really important right. in life. Um, to reduce life and human life or Canadian life in Canada to just, you know, raw numbers is, 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 is unfortunate and, and, and it just takes away the, the focus of where we need to really need to be. Well, it just seems wrong. Yeah, yeah. On so many levels. Yeah. I love, and I don't know if we were recording at this point, but our, our initial chat about your visit with the, 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 this doctor uh, in, in Toronto or your phone conversation, mm. it, it sounded to me like uh, uh, she was talking about um, 
access to more uh, human contact mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, from from what you said mm -hmm. and this idea that we are more than just poverty is way more than that mm -hmm. we are made up of way, we're way more complicated mm -hmm. than than x plus y equals z mm -hmm. yeah and she was talking about the four big areas that have to be addressed the the income that's where basic income comes in housing um uh, she called it a, uh, a place to call your own, what, what, right. you know, whatever that means, but a place right. that feels sure. like yep. a sense of home, uh, social supports of all kinds, including the kinds of human contact that we're talking about here, um, which could be having a social network of friends, uh, people who will call on you that you like to invite to have over, as well as the more uh, technical supports in our society for particular needs that people have. And then the, the fourth one was uh, a sense of purpose. We're, and Purposeful sense of activity. purpose is huge. I mean, we're talking we're talking about relationships. I yeah. mean, all of them kind of have the relational thread running through sure. them, which I think is really brilliant. Um, my daughter Victoria, uh, we have uh, not far from where we live. There's been some new zoning laws that have just been, I guess, rearticulated, and so building is now starting. And we've mm -hmm. been in this area for about 11 years and kind of been saved from a lot of construction and now it's starting and homes are going in etc we had a lot of fields just a kilometer north of us we could hear coyotes at night and mm. now that's all changing and so we were driving around uh, not far from our house and you know we saw some cranes or not cranes um, um uh, shovels and and the fences were going up and victoria said we you know basically the paraphrase was too much construction going on they the quote was they need to build more fields mm-hmm I just thought that was brilliant. Yes, you, you know, and I think the Green Party could that could that be a, a campaign a strategy for the Green Party? I, they need to build more fields. Oh, I love the I love the turn of phrase. That's yeah. great. Isn't it uh, wonderful? They need to build more forests, or they need to yeah. build more rivers, yeah. or whatever. Because yeah. yeah, I mean, we, I yeah, definitely. I think uh, so many of our problems relate to design, uh, hmm. how we're designing things. Why are we designing? These tr these housing tracks that are sort of monolithic, if that's the right word, or monochromic or sure. monochromatic. Yep. Um, uh, are we designing? Are we are we are we, uh, are we doing physical design of of neighborhoods and communities in such a way that both short term and long term is really going to be good for people's health? Uh, I love the idea myself of sort of mixed development where you've got shops and uh, and housing right there together, like on the on the ground floor of the shops and above, are, are you know yeah. three levels of housing or three sure. three story, you know. Um, so it's it's compact to a point, but it's also very human scaled. Uh, we don't see nearly enough of that. Like in Ottawa, I'm seeing you know, all around us are the same types of de development. Probably you're seeing that you're describing yep. here. Yep. Seeing a little more of that. What you're talking about in Toronto, mm -hmm. certainly with some of the new condo developments, yeah, there which is are some. probably creating some other issues. I would imagine. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, not seeing a lot of it, certainly in suburban communities, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so tell me about, uh, so you've shifted to, to working with the Green Party. You told us a little bit about why you're doing that. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a, a bit more about maybe the thread that runs through all the things that you've been doing for the, I mean, we, I kind of asked you about that right out of the gate in the conversation. Right. But there seems to be, you seem to have a concern for others or a concern for the environment. Or And when I say environment, I don't just mean you know, building more fields, mm -hmm. but social environment, mm -hmm. you know, and so on. Well, mm -hmm. wh yeah, tell, tell me a bit more about that. Well, the Green Party for me is a really good fit. Um, as I mentioned, like my values align with the formal Green values, which are, there's six of them. Um, and I guess everybody in the Green Party around the world, the, the Green Party around the world is more or less has to, uh, you know, 
abide by or identify with those values, which I do. But I just think we live in a very deeply troubled world. Um, and the trend lines in almost every respect are not encouraging, from climate mm. change to inequality. Um, we look what's happening in, in Russia and the Ukraine. Uh, you know, deeply disturbing things that are happening on, on that front. Um, generally speaking, I think it's a very, very, very troubled world that we now live in and that our children and our grandchildren are inheriting. So we have to do everything we can to try to reverse some of the d damage that's been caused, try to prevent further damage, and just generally live a whole lot more intelligently than we've been doing. And that begins with our values. We have to value things that are truly important and let go of those things that truly are not important. So it's not important to become a millionaire. It's not important to acquire as much as you can for yourself. It's, it is important to have comfort and a decent standard of living and to have friendships and the quality of mm. your, your mm -hmm. human relationships. Those are the things that really do matter. It's important that we have good quality of food that everyone can access and that the soil and the land that is available to us for, main, you know, for food production, that that gets protected. There's just so many things to work on in, 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 this, in this broad context. Uh, the Green Party kind of stands for all of that and I think stands more clearly than the other parties. Each of the other parties may have their strengths, but I think for me, the Green Party... Even the Conservatives? Uh, yeah, I would say even, okay. the, even the Conservatives, to be yeah. fair. I think right. there's <laughs> elements of Conservatism that I of think are, are okay. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean that I would ever go there myself, but I, I think, uh, you know, actually, you know, historically in Canada, it was the Conservative Party that was... The, you know, my understanding was the, the liberals at the time were the, the, you know, when Canada was really just kind of getting going, it was the liberals who were the more elitist, mm -hmm. sort of right of center, and it was the conservative party who... Interesting. Now, that's, I could be wrong. Well, I know that. from an international o ODA, Overseas Development Assistance, and, and during Brian Mulroney's era was, I think, the time that we, Canadians have been the most generous ever right. since that 0.7 number that was set back right. in the 50s with uh, 50s or 60s with yeah. Pearson. Yeah, and in the States, uh, you know, the time of Lincoln, it was the Republican Party was on more on the side of the people and social yep. justice than the Democratic Party. Eisenhower was a very respectable president who, you know, as a Republican president, carried on Roosevelt's traditions and so forth. So. We can't overly overly generalize, but uh, no, for me the Green Party is just a really really good fit. Uh, but it's a it's a it's still a very young party. It's only yeah. got two MPs. Very difficult to get traction in our first past the post electoral system. It grossly disadvantages a party like the Green Party in terms of the strength it ought to have in the House of Commons. Like a, you know, if we if we had a system of proportional representation in the 2000 election, I think we would have had something like 12 to 15 MPs in the House right now. But instead, we we got one elected. And then Bruce Heyer, who was elected as a New Democrat, left that party uh, sometime in 2013, became an independent, and then in, in January of this year uh, came over to the green side. So we have... And is that going to change, do you think? Do you think that's ever going to change, that whole, the <coughs> way we do government here in Canada? Well, that's a great question on two, at least two levels. One is um, the Green Party uh, very much tried to get the NDP and the Liberals to cooperate on competing in the next federal election with the understanding that uh, only one being in the next federal election with the understanding that uh, only one representative from 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 one of those parties would compete against the conservatives 
So the idea was that if we had, if the Greens had a really strong candidate in this riding, the Liberals and the New Democrats wouldn't run someone against that candidate. And if the Liberals had a really strong candidate in a riding, the New Democrats and the Greens wouldn't run against that individual. So it would basically come down to a, if you will, a, a progressive candidate versus the conservative candidate. Um, unfortunately, the Liberals and the New Democrats, uh, under their under their leaders, are not supporting that proposal. And the idea was to do it one time only, so that progressives, if you will, and I'm not really happy with that term, but I'll just use it because it's kind of out there, but progressively minded politicians would outnumber the conservative minded politicians in the House, therefore making it possible to introduce a move to some form of proportional representation, which would give us much better, um, much more representative uh, reflection of, of where people are at politically in Canada, with first past the post as virtually everybody knows, it, it grossly skews the allocation of seats. So you end up with farcical situations where parties won 39% right. of the vote and it gets 62% of the seats, something like that. Right. And that's a problem in every province in, in Canada, every, every territory. We don't have a system of proportional representation anywhere. And so uh, we're getting these, these lopsided results where, yeah, a minority of votes and you get a majority of seats and then you govern with arrogance and despite, in, you know, this, this conservative government has been opposed by six out of every ten people eligible to vote. Uh, yet they've, they've got a majority now going on nine years next year. So. In my, uh, well, I don't know what it is, 32 years of voting, I have voted for every party except for the communists. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm a big fan of the communist manifesto. I'd like to point <laughs> that out. Um, I have spoiled my ballot for a few years. Uh, I voted for Greens for s for several uh, elections in a row, yeah. uh, and I and I and I and I'm not boasting. I'm just leading into this idea. I think I've landed on. Wouldn't it be better time better spent, money better spent to say let's vote alongside the party that we think is at least going to affect the most change today, mm -hmm. rather than investing in a in a party that doesn't seem to have that because the system is so broken. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess I guess the question I, 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 is where can you do the most good, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, there's a couple questions here, I think, Rob, and, and is your involvement with the Green Party and is the Green Party's involvement with the Green Party really about hope and about really what it could be like mm -hmm. rather than, okay, well, I'm going to get involved with the Liberals because at least they seem like maybe we're an election or two away from, from at least getting yeah. the Conservatives out. Yeah, and, well, and again, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good question. And my own political trajectory has been, I started with the Green Party of BC in the 80s when it was just getting going. Uh, when I moved to New Brunswick, I joined the New Democrats, and I was a New Democrat candidate in 1997. Wow. But in New Brunswick, it's a two-party province for the most part, Liberal Conservatives, and if you want to serve in politics, you pretty much... At this point in time, you need to think about joining one of those two parties because the other, the other, the other parties have a great deal of time getting traction in that, in that, in that particular jurisdiction. So I joined the Liberals because um, I knew the De New Democrats really did not have a strong chance of ever really electing somebody in the area I was in. So it was a rural riding; it was staunchly conservative for the most part, but there have been some liberal breakthroughs. So I sought the Liberal nomination, federally and provincially. So I've I've kind of migrated and wandered now mm -hmm. back to the Greens. Um, you know, Justin Trudeau said something the other day, which I, I think was great. He said uh, uh, people should join the party of their choice based on the values that they see in that party. And I think that's that's correct. So that's what 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 I've done. I think every party would say that they're they're the party of some hope. 
The political process, I think, is, is vital that people get involved. I would encourage anyone to do it. Um, the reality is when, when you're in the thick of it, uh, a lot of it is day-to-day kind of crisis stuff. Um, and uh, the, sort of the longer-term visioning and promotion of ideas and values, I think, often really can, happens more on the outside of sure. formal political parties. And that's important work, but you know, where's the best place for a person to put their time is up for everyone to decide. Um, it's e- from my point of view, it's, it's equally valuable to spend your time staying at home and caring for a loved one as it is to run for the political leadership of a political party. Absolutely, yeah. Um, small acts of kindness add up to the world that we have. Yeah, and I'm struck Agreed. by that every, virtually every day. I stayed in a bed and breakfast last night in Thorold um, near St. Catharines. And the you know the owners were great and small act of kindness they gave me two muffins this morning <laughs> to take with me and in uh, fact this entire trip I've had nothing but acts of kindness from the friend who put me up in Kingston a couple of nights ago to the dinner that I was treated to last night nice. to the coffee that another individual bought me yesterday um, small acts of kindness and they all add up into the beautiful world that we know is possible so never. We should never think that those small acts don't count. They actually count for everything. You don't sound cynical enough to be the executive director of the Green Party. <laughs> you're, you're now in the middle of politics. You're in yeah. the heart of it, Rob. No, so. I fight against cynicism. I pledge to myself I'm not going to end up bitter and cynical about the world, even though there's lots of reasons to be discouraged. So you've had so NDPs, liberals, you've run as a candidate. You were, mm. Have you found that politics is unfortunately populated by, by a group of uh, cynics? I mean, are people in it for the right reasons? I think a lot of people aren't. Um, and I say that in fairness to all concerned and all parties, because I have that experience within three. I think definitely a lot of people get involved in politics for the wrong reasons. Uh, it attracts people. And I remember someone telling me this years ago before I ever got politically involved. I remember an individual saying to me that uh, politics tends not to, to attract the right people. Hmm. Or, and, and that, the, uh, that the, the people who you think would be most appropriate to serve in politics don't get involved in politics because they perceive it as being this arena of conflict and self-interest and self-dealing and all this kind of stuff. And there's a lot of truth in that. At the same time, I've met some amazing people who have been yeah, involved in the, in the political process, uh, both pe- people who've been elected into, into the House of Commons. There's some very, very fine individuals involved there. Um, and people who work in, in, the, in the back rooms. Um, I remember as a kid, and I don't remember where I heard this, it could have been Sunday school, but the idea that it's a lot easier to pull somebody down from a pedestal than it is to pull somebody up, mm-hmm. and I don't know where that comes from. Sounds sort of mm-hmm. like Shakespeare to me mm-hmm. as well, or Mark Twain maybe. Mm-hmm. I bet it's the same in politics, right? You mm-hmm. get in, you get in for the right reason. It's like working in the nonprofit sector, frankly. I mean, I know a lot of people who work with some large NGOs who I don't think are there for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. They're there for the paycheck and mm-hmm. the security and the, and the sure. dental plan. Yep. They're not there because they're driven by uh, the fact that it's it's wrong, it's morally wrong that two billion people live on, on less than $2 a day or, mm-hmm. or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. Maybe they got in for those reasons, mm-hmm. but, but things have changed along the way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily casting judgment. Things change. Mm-hmm. People's lives change, but mm-hmm. it's hard to maintain that level of, of hope and, and mm-hmm. seeing life the way you've seen it over the last couple mm-hmm. days, mm-hmm. you know, acts of kindness rather than an expectation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, going back to your earlier point about reducing everything to a monetary or mm-hmm. fiscal yeah. calculation, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, when you, when, you, when you actually step back and look at one's own life and you think about all the acts of kindness and generosity that we, we it's have. Astounding, it's astounding. Actually. It's it is. astounding. For and most of us, maybe not everyone, but I think yeah. it is for pretty much all of us. Yeah. yeah, and it would be nice to think that everyone could really step back and just give, be thankful for all that has been given. Of course, not everybody is in that frame of mind. And as we see repeatedly, there are you know, people, so many people are still in a very acquisitive, um, you know, get more for themselves kind of mindset. And um, it, it can be very discouraging in politics as it can be in any field to see this kind of behavior. But I think we're coming up against that, that, that human element. And there's, our, you know, human nature, we, we do have this, this, this ugly side of us, mm -hmm. the dark side, the, the greedy side, the self-interested side. And then we have this other amazingly generous and so I just read in the globe a couple of days ago uh, about a couple of scholars who are doing a lot of work around genocide and how they're saying you know things have changed mm. and there are fewer genocides occurring today right. than there were so many years ago right. and there's fewer people who have died in the last mm -hmm. 15 years than in the last 25 and so on mm -hmm. so and then I've got other people who are in my life saying uh, recently and uh, a couple of weeks ago well really nothing's changed has it I mean we're still killing each other and so on and I think um, that it's just, it's so easy, it seems, to reduce these things to the, you know, like you said, physical, but also just on either or. Mm -hmm. It's positive, it's negative, it's, well, mm -hmm. you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it, the way things used to be, mm -hmm. you know, you can get nostalgic or For you sure. can actually be hopeful and say, hang on, things are changing. For sure. Things are, we are making a difference. Yeah. Uh, and it's time to focus more on the 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 at the acts of kindness I think you know we're gonna have to wrap it up shortly yeah. um, Rob but you know you talked about reforming our tax system mm -hmm. and I think you talked about the idea of redefining or or, or or understanding what it means to pay tax in a new way mm -hmm. and maybe that's kind of the metaphor for our, for for both of for what we're doing with or what you're doing with basic income and what you're doing with the Green Party it's about asking new questions right. and about you know tearing down the old structures not right. just because but because there's a there's something better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think we we do need to ask different questions. We do need to, you know, think outside the boxes. And not become a, a bit of a cliche. But yep. I think I think it's very true. We 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 very easily get get ourselves boxed in by the ways we've been instructed to think or the way we believe we're supposed to think, and um, and it can be hard. It's hard to it can be hard to find the. The, the, the space, literally the space, to be able to, to, yeah, to think creatively. But we, we desperately need it. We need creative people to come forward in all kinds of ways to help propose the solutions. There was a wonderful phrase, I forget who said it, or I don't know who said it. Um, you know, in order to have, uh, I think it was Linus Pauling said, in order to have a really good idea, you have to have lots of ideas. Right. So lots of ideas in the, in the pool, and from that will surface the handful that, in fact, are, are true winners, right? I happen to believe that basic income is one of those ideas. Mm. Other people believe it, but we have lots to learn about it. We, we don't have all the answers as yet, um, but we also know more about what doesn't work well, say, when it comes to addressing poverty. So... Um, as always, it's it's going to be some trial and error and feeling our ways along. But sent, you know, very central to all that has to be this spirit of of, of of giving and generosity. If we don't have that, it's very difficult to create the kind of world that we we're seeking. If we're truly all out just for ourselves and to hell with everybody else. So. 
that's uh, yeah, that's great. Thank you so much yeah, no uh, for joining us today. Very nice way to end it. And as I always say, there's so much more going on here than meets the eye. We oh, just yeah. barely, barely scratched the Definitely. surface. Definitely. Thanks, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you, David.